Wertes in der Kleinstadt Winden ein Junge auf mysteriöse Weise verschwunden. Die Frage ist nicht, wer die Kinder entführt hat, sondern wann. Das Ende ist der Anfang. Und der Anfang ist das Ende. Tick, tick. Du wirst alles verstehen, wenn es an der Zeit ist zu verstehen. Tick, tick. Aber jede Entscheidung für etwas ist doch immer eine Entscheidung gegen etwas. Hello and welcome to Dark, a companion podcast of the Netflix TV series. I'm Murgles. I'm PB. And I'm Akyorn. Shall we begin? Yes. <laughs> Hi, guys. Yay. Yay. Hello. Before we dive in, I just want to point out that this is a companion podcast and not a watch along. So you definitely want to have watched the series and be hungry for more discussion and more theories and, you know, more chats. We've also chosen to run the podcast as more of a discussion between friends, so we each go away with the topic for the week, we've written our own notes, and then we come together and share it. Nobody has any sneak peeks at each other's notes or anything. That means we won't always get everything completely right, but it should also lend to more surprises, and ultimately, we want you to feel like you're in our living room discussing right along with us. Today, we're going to be talking about love in dark, called Lovers in a Dangerous Time. Yes. Do we have housekeeping? Just a few things, Yes. One of the things that I took note of when I was editing is that part where PB talked about when Katarina slapped Martha and she made a weird comment. I was curious about that. So I went back and I watched the scene. Did you ever go back and watch that part, PB? Yeah, I did. So she gets comforted by Magnus, but she just kind of has this like, she says, oh shit, right away after she's done it. And just the look on her face is like, in my, I took it to mean she felt like she was transforming into the monster of her mother. Yeah. Um, and she ends up getting comforted by Magnus, but she has this very distant, far off look in her face, like she's in another time revisiting her trauma. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that too, for sure. Um, so there was that, just a brief little moment. Acorn, do you want to be the mailman today or do we still want it to be me? I like you as the mailman. I yeah. kind of like you as the mailman. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Because we actually have more emails. We got more emails. What? I'm very excited about. Yes. This is exciting. I made the mistake of already reading it. (laughs) So I I know what's going to happen. Yeah. (laughs) Corn has already read it. I'm the only one that hasn't read it yet. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be new for you. I read it before I realized. And I messaged Murgles like, oh, crap. Like, oh, crap. I've read that before I realized I I should have waited. (laughs) Wait, but. Did we hear did we hear from Troy on how they found us? Uh yes, Troy did find us through Apple Podcasts. So oh. Troy finished the series and then was like, is there more discussion happening? And then found us on Apple. Oh, that's amazing. Was it the I cover know. art that grabbed you, Troy? What was it? Our incredible cover art by Johnny Knight. Yes. Hey yo. <laughs> okay, sorry. Please continue. Our email today is also a Twitter user who tweeted at us as well. So they messaged us on both, which is super exciting. This is from Mark. Hi there, Dark Companion Pod team. Thank you again for your podcast. I thanked you on Twitter previously when talking about the Ulrich and Hannah prison scene. You guys keep getting better. I enjoy your true fandom and respect for the series combined with professionalism, which is very nice to hear. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, because we definitely don't feel like we're being nope. professional. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, I feel like a child. I wanted to add a thought about <laughs> Katerina in the alt world. Clearly, she is less bullying and less likely to react with anger and physicality. I wondered why. 
Then I realized that in this world, her mother Helena did not have to kill a crazy woman claiming to be her daughter in 1987. While I believe her mother was violent with her prior to the killing, I have to believe in the prime world she got much worse after killing Katerina, as we saw in the kitchen scene. Perhaps her mom was not nearly as violent in the alt world, and therefore Katerina does not develop as significant and long-lasting violent tendencies. Keep it up, Mark. Oh, Mark. Great observation. He also sent a follow-up, so here we go. One last point is I heard the end of your podcast. If you don't know much about the husband and wife team who wrote and directed Dark, I highly recommend you investigate further. I'm so impressed by them. There are some fascinating interviews on YouTube. Their new show, 1899, looks to be another complex mind bender. We shall see. Oh, yeah. We've been freaking out about that. Also, they have some other stuff that I want to watch as well that they have made and created. Uh, I think it's uh, one of them's a film before dark. I'm basically Mm -hmm. huge stands of them. I'm going to grab all their stuff. (laughs) Yep. Oh my God. Yeah. Mark also tweeted at us Mm -hmm. with an amazing chart that. (gasps) Oh yeah. I saw this. That's incredible. It's an amazing chart breaking down the switch point. So that is super, super cool. And we will include a link to that in the show notes because it's definitely worth a look. He also said, to clarify something from your excellent man with no future, discussing the 2053 Hannah meeting you and asking why he didn't just lie. He did lie. He saw he was on the defensive because he asked about Katerina. When he saw her reaction, he said, I love you. I will leave her. So that was something yeah, that we definitely we addressed did, last episode. We went out and corrected that. But yeah. I, I did want to talk. I do think that's a very interesting thought or, you know, theory on why Katerina is different in mm. in the alternate reality. But I think I prefer the idea that she got therapy. Mm. Like, I think I, I like that maybe it was just as difficult. I, I think that's probably solid. Her mom probably got worse after she was, you know, attacked by a crazy woman by the side of a lake. But I think she was always pretty abusive to to Katarina, so the fact that Katarina isn't quite like that in in the alternate reality, I think I just I love the idea that perhaps she, you know, got some help while she was dealing with child abuse background or her. Um, I think we made a joke in the last episode. I think Miranda made this joke. That's a therapy haircut. What? I think. Oh, Miranda did I? Oh, joke? yeah. Yeah, you made like that joke. <laughs> you were like the alternate reality. Katerina, that's that's a therapy haircut. The, um, the Bob of self-exploration. Yeah, self-care. <laughs> self-care, Bob. Yeah. Um, there's that. And then I also think, you know, also her son didn't go missing, too. Yes. Yeah. So those are two very big things that probably had a very huge impact on her. Yeah, no, good point. I think it's um, it definitely helped, I would say, that her mother did not kill a woman who hinted at being her daughter in the woods. I'm sure that had a positive impact on their relationship only in that she wouldn't spiral even more and then take out that frustration and anger on Katerina. But no, those are good, good, good points too, PB, how her son didn't go missing. And I, I like to think that she got therapy too. Maybe some distance from Ulrich helped her put some things in perspective. And then she, you know, since she didn't have him to lean on. Yeah. yeah. Cause she also separated from him. Yeah. She had to lean on someone else. And so I like yeah. to think that's a professional. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point too. She got a divorce in the other reality. So yeah. she probably, definitely had some therapy yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. oh man 
Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much again, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Thank you, everyone who emails us. It really does make our day. So please, if you're interested in sending us an email and becoming a part of our conversation, feel free to do so at darkcompanionpod at gmail.com. Yeah. Even if it's just to tell us where you found us, we'd love to hear that. Yeah. Oh, we'd love to hear that. Also, when you do email, we would also love if you could write, if you're all right with us, reading your email in the podcast. It just makes it a little bit easier for us to know um, when we go to record. Yeah, exactly. And that's it from the mailman. Okie dokie. So we have a question of the day. And by we, I mean me. So our topic today is love. We're going to be talking about love and all the types of love and in the way that love is portrayed in the show. And so I have a very deep question for you. Oh boy. Oh boy. So forgive me if it's too deep. <laughs> the question is, how has your understanding of love changed as you've aged? Oof. Well, yeah, that's a pretty deep question. Do you want to start? Sure, I can okay. start. <laughs> we probably need some time to think about that. <laughs> Well, to be honest, I haven't either. So I was just like, good question. And then wrote it down. Um, I think that my understanding and like perception of what love is or what good love is has definitely changed over the years. I mm. think like in my early 20s or like teenage years, a lot of my focus about love was about like how much we had in common if we listened to the same bands, <laughs> if they, you know, like how how they made me feel versus actually not having a concept of what it genuinely felt like to be loved in a healthy way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So like expecting what love is supposed to feel like as in, oh, I have butterflies in my stomach. No, that person sucks. <laughs> yeah. You should maybe not hang out with them if you feel nervous around them all the time. But I think over the years, I've, I've come to a greater appreciation of like love as being the most excellent of friendships and like a closeness that is not full of platitudes, but just is this sort of unspoken, genuine closeness, like a level of trust, family almost. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, oh, man, I think my answer is going to be it's going to come from a couple different places, because I feel like the time period that I grew up in, I was raised on Disney and the early 2000s had a lot of romantic movies that focused on a lot of actually pretty terrible things. Yeah. If you if that's if you are into film and you like to deep dive into those kinds of topics, I actually have a great YouTube channel to recommend called Pop Culture Detective. Yes. It is yes. this incredible person who dives into some of those tropes and themes. Um a lot of them revolve around like masculinity and the role that males take in various stories including romantic ones and so one of the things that really stood out to me is just and also this you see this in YA literature and everywhere basically this focus on creepy or manipulative or controlling characteristics in a love interest as being romantic so for me I was raised on that and I had abuse in my background and so when I found love I didn't realize that it was mirroring so many of those things. And so mm -hmm. my relationships in the past have been very rocky for that reason, because I was looking at love in a completely different and unhealthy way. Mm -hmm. So now, <laughs> uh, having lived so long after growing up on that kind of media, I now understand that love is like you were saying, Murgles, it's a deep, implicit trust. It's respect. 
it's looking at someone as your equal. Yes. As well as your support. Yes. Mm -hmm. And really finding strength in your autonomy as well as receiving love and care from another person who sees your autonomy and respects that too. Like to me, I think that's really what love is. It's going from the butterflies and the does he like me and all of that stuff to like really seeing another human, seeing another human for who they are, I guess. Yeah. Acceptance. Yeah. Acceptance is a huge part yeah. of, of love for me too. So I grew up in a very similar background. I also grew up where it was like, love is one thing. There's like romantic love and it's between a man and a woman and blah, blah, blah. And that's it. And this is how you do it. And then you get married and then you have babies and that's, that's love. And, <laughs> and, um, so of course, over the years that, that, that changed for me as I realized that that's, that is not the case in every situation. Love is not the Disney presentation happily ever after. Love is the part that comes after that. Yeah. And they never show that. They never show that. Yeah. Um, they show the like, you know, conquest or the getting together, but true love, in my opinion, is found and grown after that you kind of sow the seeds in the beginning there and then after that it becomes the most beautiful thing i used to watch this so the swan princess was like my favorite it wasn't a disney movie i don't think oh my god i love swan i love swan princess me too so in the very beginning of that film uh the prince tries to marry the princess odette and he she says why and well he he says well you know you're beautiful and she goes well thank you but what else <laughs> and he can't think of anything else. And so she refuses his hand. And I remember being like, wow, okay, that's like really important. I will remember. And that just stuck with me kind of growing up that, you know, there's, there's more to that in a relationship. But I think I'll echo the same sentiments that you both had about, you know, butterflies and not under really understanding what love is. But I think it's hard to know what love is until you are able to love yourself or understand just how difficult that is sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. when you, when you find somebody else who really loves you for all of your faults and there is that trust and acceptance for who you are and they love you anyway, in spite of like all the things you think are wrong with yourself, man, that's powerful. That's a pretty powerful moment. So yeah, I think that's it. That's, I didn't have, I don't have anything extra to say other than I echo both of you. And I think acceptance is a huge part of it. And also I really like what Acorn said about accepting their love, yeah. accepting that yeah. they love you is a really big, important so part. Yeah, it is very, very yeah. difficult. But knowing, you know, our brains are mean to us sometimes. They're very cruel and can say like, you know, you're unlovable or, you know, they don't really know you. So they can't love you, but, but they do. And they sometimes also know you without knowing everything yet. And even then when you're like, okay, and then you continue to open up and they still love you and accept you or, or what's crazier, they love you more Yeah. when they find out like your faults and, and your weak points and stuff like that, your fleshy bits on the inside. So I think that that's pretty good. I try to remind myself of that because I know that I love people more when I get to see yes. their fleshy bits. Yeah. And when I find out their weird idiosyncrasies that maybe they feel ashamed about, I'm like, I love that. It makes, it endears me to them so much. Mm -hmm. Cause I think we all have this concept that we need to be like perfect in this like perfect way for this person. Mm -hmm. But perfection is completely and utterly pointless and boring. <laughs> 
<laughs> there's nothing interesting. It's also not possible. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It just doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. Per- perfection is in the imperfection. Like joy and happiness is found in those little moments or the imperfectness of, of the world or or in the permanence. Yeah. It's also found in the permanence of things, imperfect and impermanence. Yeah. Because I think also like because I am older and I've lived through some stuff and I've seen some things and, you know, gone through many different experiences, there is there is a big difference between being like how I feel about someone when we first start dating and we have like a perfect dinner mm-hmm. and a nice date versus like you're in a hospital yeah. because a family member is sick and you're standing next to your partner and you know like you have each other's backs and the feeling of knowing that you have yeah. each other's backs in that moment like the kindness in difficulty to me that there's a such a power in that that I think you just don't get at the beginning of a relationship or you know I mean you can very early on but yeah, yeah. can we talk just for a second about friendships too specifically lady ones yes just because yeah. we're all ladies and we probably grew up with the similar I, I think so my concept of friendship came from a when I was a lot younger it was like you know best friends tell each other everything and they are right or die they will absolutely just, you know, you go to school, whoever's, you know, picking on you, you whatever, you don't like the same boys, you know, all that. It's just this weird, again, presented by Nickelodeon or some other TV show about like what best friends are <laughs> supposed to be like. And I think my concept of that has also, you know, kind of changed in that, yes, I, I do true friendship and true love is there are some aspects of that trust the you know i've i've got your back but a lot of it too is pointing out stuff not just blindly agreeing and having such a surface level of like you know you know oh look oh you look great or it's about really being able to sit down accept each other for our faults but also talk about the hard stuff which is like you know i'm I'm kind of floundering because of this or that. And then being able to have somebody that sits down and goes, okay, well, not, a th- not uh, your friends should never be your therapist, but there should always be some sort of compassion, I feel like, and understanding and willingness to kind of listen or go to those places with your closest friends. There's a saying somewhere that I read that was like, you can have like five real friends like close friends, everybody else is like an acquaintance because you really only have space in your brain or body or whatever to allow yourself a super deep relationship with up to five people. Um, And I remember when I was younger being like, okay, that's strange that you're going to put a cap on it, but I kind of understand it now. I get it because there are people where, you know, you can go out to lunch, have a good time, but they're never going to know all everything going on in your life. They, they just, your your friendship does better when you're only surface level stuff. You know, it's like, oh, hey, how are you? And how are the kids and blah, blah, blah. But they don't, you know, know, hey, my mom died last week. Or, well, I mean, maybe that's a big one. You'd yeah. probably share that one. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, they don't know every little thing that's that's going on, whereas your super close friends do. And they they know you and accept you and love you. And it's the same base as your romantic love. Right. Like that's something yeah. that's what I should noticed. be to some yeah, extent. Is yeah. That for my my really close friendships are the same base as my, you know, romantic partnership. It's just that, you know, obviously there's more to my romantic partnership, but it's more than just romantic stuff, of course. But I think like 
the basics are still there. That acceptance, that love, that trust is there. So all of that, I think. Unconditional. Yeah. Like a level of unconditional like love and acceptance. Because I think the best friendships are ones where you feel you can tell them everything without fear of judgment or fear of control. Or changing the relationship. Yeah, or changing the relationship, you know. I think it can be difficult because friendships and relationships, of course, are defined very much by the love style that you witnessed when you were growing up and the attachment style that you were exposed to. And so I think like what people maybe don't realize is that in friendships, as much as in close relationships, people seek and, you know, reenact a lot of what they learned. And it can be really tough to break out of those patterns, especially in friendships, because I think it's like, how do you... That's my big one. I grew up in a pretty neglected household. So I have I have a very difficult time in close friendships where I like don't reach out to people. I don't text first. Like Myrtles and I are miraculously still friends because she would message me every single day for three years straight. Right. Which is so funny because I'm literally the exact same. Like I I struggle to reach out or like think that what I have to say is like worth anybody's time, which is like the darkest thing to say. But I mean, I don't I have friends that are like, yeah, and then I did this and then I did that. And I'm like, oh, cool. I like to hear that stuff. But when it comes to me, I'm like, who wants to hear that stuff? Yes, I do the same thing. I do the same thing. Or it's like, well, you know, this person's going through a tough time right now. So I don't want to bring them down with this stuff that I can't even control. And I don't even have answers for yet. Right. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. And that's all they're going to say. Well, what are you going to do about this? Or what's happening here? I don't know. And I don't want to think about it. So I'm just not going to mention it. Yeah. But then it's like, or even just like day, day to day stuff, like same old, same old. It's just, it's just very difficult for me or, you know, planning uh, ways to spend time together. Like I have to, I have to have like a notification that goes off on my phone. That's like, you know, two or three weeks into the month. Hey, have you done anything with your friends? Go like time to yeah. do that, you know, cause you're, you're going to isolate. So stuff like that. I think you bring up a very good point, but we have talked a very long time about love now. Should we talk about dark? Yeah, we should talk about dark. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, don't apologize. I asked. I was like, hi, let's unpack the concept of love yeah. in life. It's a, it's a good topic, though. I Maybe maybe I need to go lighter on the questions. Is no, what I'm I learning. loved the question. And okay. I do think it's, it's actually really good before we then point out the relationships and the yeah. show. It was a very good question because now we get to be like, this is a good example of a strong friendship or love. Yeah. Or- because here's the other thing too, is that we're dealing with time and we're dealing with aging in the show. We're dealing mm-hmm. with characters like Jonas and Marta's love for each other is very different at the end when they're Adam and Ava. And so I yeah, think like yes. in terms of how we perceive the love that we hold on to it can change everything about your decisions over over a lifetime. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, that's one of the beauties of getting older and aging and like living more life is that you learn more and things change for you. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I think there's a yeah. beauty that can be found in living the life that you're at instead of reenacting the stuff that you felt when you were yeah. 20. I mean, I'm really I would love to never feel 20 again. So that's yeah. great because I won't. <laughs> I think now that I'm older, I can also identify really manipulative relationships or which we didn't mention at all. And that's something that I didn't understand when I was younger. I used to look and be like, oh, but they, you know, 
they love me and I would in turn, but now that I'm older, I go, oh, okay, this person's minute to fucking buy. Yeah. You know, I don't have yeah. time. I do not have time for this and I'm not going to put up with it. And I'm sorry if we're blood related, but no. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. can't do that. I think in a lot of ways, that was the narrative in a lot of stories that we grew up on. Mm-hmm. Intense manipulation was defined as love. Mm-hmm. And so that didn't help anyone. Mm-hmm. God, the media. Twilight. <laughs> So here's my plan for today. I have done some crazy research, right, into types of love. I would love if we could go through the types of love and then discuss who we think fits in within those. Ooh. A very interesting thing that I found out, one of the early, early philosophical ideas around or psychological ideas around types of love, of course, were the Greeks. There are Greek words for different types of love. We have eros and agape, and we have philia and storge and ludus and all that stuff. But in 1973, a Canadian psychologist named John Allen Lee wrote a book called Colors of Love, an Exploration of the Ways of Loving. And it was one of the very first books written about these different concepts of love analytically, I guess. Basically, it's called the color wheel theory of love. So it's blue, red, and yellow as the main three. Did, did, did you just say blue, red, and yellow? Blue, red, and yellow. It's the color wheel theory of love. Oh my God. Wow. By John Allen Lee. In yellow, we have storge. Blue is ludus. And red is eros. And those are the main three. And then there's tertiary depictions. But I think most of us are most familiar with eros, which is the Greek term for romantic, passionate, or sexual love, from which we derive the term erotic. It's passionate. Sexy, sexy time. Sexy, sexy time. (laughs) And it's also usually thought of as the beginning stages of a relationship. Then we have ludus, which is blue. Ludus means game or school in Latin. Lee uses the term to describe those who see love as a desiring to want to have fun with each other, indulge, play harmless pranks on each other. Like ludic lovers want to have fun. It's all very like light and happy. And then storge, which is yellow, is the Greek term for familial love. Lee defines storge as growing slowly out of friendship and is based more on similar interests and a commitment to one another rather on passion. Then we have like a breakdown of mania, which is an intense obsessive love, type of obsessiveness and madness in love. Agape, which is altruistic love, the purest form of love. And then pragma, which is uh, business-like. It's like a, a type of pragmatic love, a convenience. So, you know, after Eros has gone away and stuff like that. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like something that I found because I was obviously I was looking it up and uh, I went to Catholic school. So I had to sit through lots of speeches about agape and eros, um, if that's (laughs) relatable at all. Um, And so I was like, oh, it would be cool to like look at these types of love. And then I found that there was a color wheel of love, which was blue, red and yellow. And I was like, what? That's crazy. Yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Total like side note. But Kojima pulled from Luden, which homo Ludens, I think, was the term that was coined by some professor. Um, and it was talking about people in play. And so Ludin and Ludus come from the same, I guess, Greek origin. But that's also kind of fascinating how yeah. it's pulled into like different games and media and can like symbolize and mean different things so if you're interested in death stranding or kojima i would look that up how he used the homo ludens concept in his game 
That's pretty awesome. Yeah, for sure. Super cool. There's there's lots and lots of relationships depicted in Dark. Um, every relationship that you can imagine. There's adultery. There's uh, true romantic love. There's, you know, we have what some people consider the greatest love story of all time, which is Jonas and Marta. Wrong. Which I would like to yep. dispute. <laughs> Just to, like, uh, get us all in terms of, like, remembering everybody. Mm-hmm. So the main couples that we have are, like, Hannah and Ulrich. Ulrich and Katarina. Hannah and Mikhail. Magnus and Francisca, Hanno and Elizabeth, Jonas and Marta, Peter and Bernadette, Peter and Charlotte, Charlotte and Ulrich, Marta and what was the Eric Obendorf's brother's name? Oh, I have no yeah. idea. Acorns on it. Claudia and Tronte, Jana and Tronte, Doris and Egan, Doris and Agnes, Agnes and the Unknown, Egon and Hannah, Alexander and Regina. Bartosh and Marta, Bernd and Claudia, and Greta and Bert. Just like all. Did you lot. already say Noah and Charlotte? Hanno and Charlotte. Oh, uh, Hanno and um, right. Elizabeth. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Noah and Elizabeth. And uh, Killian is the is Eric's brother. Ah, okay, okay, okay. So in the alternate world, Marta and Killian. Yeah, yeah. that's so many couples. That's a lot. So much. I didn't realize. Wow. I feel like there are some though that really are more important in mm-hmm. the show. Yeah. I think like the the fact that Marta in the alternate world is with Killian, I don't know how that like impacts the show narrative overall. Do you right. know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's more of like a situation versus like a, a fleshed out relationship that's depicted. Yeah. It's very much also a surface level relationship because when things get weird, they can't, it doesn't survive, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah so. totally. But I think... I think Jonas and Martha, I think everybody thinks their love story is just a, you know, the greatest of all time. But I don't I don't see it. I I see from my perspective, the way the show presented the finale. I think Jonas and Martha are representatives of Tannhaus's daughter-in-law and his son. And I think that's why they were created or fractured into this world or Mm -hmm. these worlds that he created. So in that way, I think that they represent a love that exists outside of themselves and they're just a loop. They're just repeating it because they both seem to have a pull for each other that they can't explain or understand. And I think that's, to me, that's the explanation. The, it's because you are a piece in someone's mind of, you know, two people that do love each other and exist somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Whereas I'm with you in that I think the the true crazy love story, the most accepting love is Magnus and Francisca. And then... Absolutely. Um, there's another one and I can't... I wrote down four couples that I think represent like the real love yep. of the show. Yeah. What are they? Magnus and Francisca. Yep. For sure. Mm-hmm. Peter and Bernadette. Yes. Yep. Oh, yeah. Alexander and Regina. Yes. Oh, God, yeah. Solid. And I also wrote Elizabeth and Noah, but I'm curious to hear. They seem to have a really beautiful connection over time. It's also weird. <laughs> so yeah, it's a little weird. Uh, yeah, it's a little weird. I think it's hard for me to weigh in on that one because Noah was so manipulated yeah. for so long. And I think the only reason why he especially as a teenager when he came in and found Charlotte, I think it was just destined. He just knew that that was his his match, right? So I think 
he even says to her dad before her dad dies, like, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of her when, after you die. So I think he just, it's hard to tell. I'm sure a true love grew out of that, but that's kind of where I landed to with it because Mm -hmm. it was almost like following fate. He knew that he was destined to be with her. And so he went to be with her, but then through that he found true love. And I mean, from those scenes, the few scenes that we see of them um, as teenagers and adults, I mean, he has this, it seems a genuine care and compassion for her. Like no matter yes. how many times she asks, he tells her about paradise. Yeah. And when, when he's talking with Jonas outside and Elizabeth comes and waves at him to come inside, he, he goes to her. And I mean, there's just this tenderness between them so that when they lose Charlotte, they are truly devastated and he said i will do everything i can to bring her back to us yeah but then then she ends up taking charlotte herself right like i think it's just their relationship is so wrapped up in a lie that it's hard to know you know and her even saying tell me again about paradise makes me think like it's more of a a match out of not desperation but just how can circumstance yeah. How can you really love someone in those circumstances? Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like a pragmatic yep. love. Yeah. Oh. It sounds like a pragma yep. of, of love. I think so. Not necessarily derived out of true romantic love, but more of a convenient, rational and realistic level of love. Yeah. I think. Well, I always have a hard time categorizing things or putting labels on anything because there are definitely elements of you know, agape in their acknowledgement of each other and their, their love for each other. And again, there are elements of that in, you know, Marta and Jonas, but I think generally speaking, it's, I didn't look at their relationship and go, man, that is, that is a relationship to, you know, goals, whatever whatever kids say these days, relationship goals. Um, Whereas I did have that reaction with, you know, Bernadette, uh, with Magnus, with Alexander, yeah, I had those yeah, three. I was like, "Yep, absolutely. This is a this is true love here." Yeah, so I feel like Elizabeth and Noah just kind of squeak in there at the end. Yeah, at the very very end of the list. Actually, you know, <laughs> I after this discussion, I think I do remove yeah. them from that list for sure. I don't think that they fit on that list because you know when I when I do think of Alexander and Regina, I think true unconditional yes. love. Yeah, there they are. You know, I remember when we the very first moment that I saw Magnus and Francisca in the alternate world and they were together and they were their relationship in that world is so beautiful. I think they're when the apocalypse happens and they are just sitting there together and watching it happen and their acceptance of being together and just like happiness. That scene is so stunning that it truly boggles my mind that people think Jonas and Marta have like the true love story in that show. Because when I see them or like at the very end of the show and you see that Peter and Bernadette are together and they were together or trying to be together across all timelines the whole time. You know, I think that there's just something exceptionally beautiful about those, those loves um, that we can learn from. The scene where Alexander comes in after finding out over the phone that his wife has cancer oh my yeah. God. and he just wraps his arms around. He's not mad. He's not like, why didn't you tell me? He just comes in and hugs her. Sorry, I'm getting emotional. I know. Yeah. Me too. Okay. It, just, it was like, such a good scene. I saw that scene and I was like, that's, that's real love. Cause 
there are there are moments where you just can't you cannot say the things yeah. or and in that moment you know because we know alexander has such a huge secret too that he can never tell her and he for some reason decides he can't because maybe he doesn't want to know what her reaction would be maybe because there's an unspoken understanding that maybe she knows but never asked which is such a powerful thing in a relationship she knows he had a gun. She knows he was injured when she first met him. She took it, which by the way, is super fucking dangerous. Don't find a stranger who has a gun and is bleeding and take him to your house where your mother is not and <laughs> fix up his wounds. And it worked out great for her, but it doesn't always work out that way. So stay sexy and don't get murdered. Um, but yeah, so like <laughs> she knew something was up, but she never asks him. She just waits for him to tell her and he doesn't. And she's okay with that. And I think that's really powerful. That's true love. Yeah. You know, tell me if you want yep. to, if you're ready. Because yeah, she's thinking about him. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you tell me when it's you're ready. It's not about her. Yeah. Yeah. It's not about her. It's about him. And it's about how she is able to support him and like keep space yeah. for him. Yeah. I think that a lot of relationships, if you don't know, it can happen really fast where suddenly you're, you're, need to feel loved trumps their need to yes. be loved. Yes. And I think in that scenario, that's an example of she doesn't take it personally that he doesn't yeah. tell her everything. She doesn't take it personally and see it as an example of like the weakness of their relationship yeah. or whatever. You know, and he doesn't yeah. do that either. He doesn't see her not telling him about the cancer. He sees that she has cancer. And so he's there for her. Yeah. And she's hurt, yeah, and he just wraps his arms around her and the music's playing and there's no words and she just starts sobbing in his arms and I'm like, <laughs> oh no, oh. because I have that. Yeah. When my part, when I'm like really upset and in turmoil, I will have nothing on my face. I'm just like, everything's fine. But the moment my partner embraces yep. me, I break down. I'm just like, oh, yeah. I can't handle it. So yeah, I just, yeah, just that moment of like, here is a safe space where you can just like grieve for a moment. Oh, it, it hurt me. It hurt me so profoundly. Their love is so beautiful. The, the regret on his face when Bartosh is like, did mother know? Oh, yeah. And he didn't get a chance to tell her. I was like, oh, I, I see that, like wondering if that was the right call. Speaking of um, love that might not be so true and healthy. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy, yeah. do we have a lot of it in this show? Yeah, we do. I would say most of the love in this show is to some extent, and this might be very extreme, but I think it is representative of the poison in the timeline, the way that the timeline is a poison in and of itself. Yes. And the word poison is used a lot in the mm -hmm. show. I think that the some of the love relationships in the show are equally as poisonous or in and of themselves poisoned to some extent and either in their nature or are changed to be that way. Before we go in, I wasn't sure if we were also going to talk about non-romantic relationships, but I think it's worth yeah. noting Inez and Mikkel. Her love for him is pretty... Pretty profound. Pretty good and pretty profound. I do think it a little bit gets weird for me when I find out, you know, she's drugging him to kind of like, you know, help calm him down. I think she's doing what she thinks is the best thing for him. But yeah, she she takes him in and cares for him. And then listens to him after mm. he's gone he leaves a note and says do not open this until this date and this time and how hard that must have been brutal 
your son has killed himself and you're going to wait until you're going to respect him and wait until. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that that's a pretty pure love as well. Do we think that's more on like the agape side, the unconditional love, the love between a parent and a child? Yeah, I do. And they weren't biological, but she, she, she very much loved him and did everything for him. And she moved into an apartment, left him at the house when he got married and had a kid, Jonas. So Mm -hmm. like, it just, I just feel like her whole world was him. And that wasn't written in the stars. Right. Like, I mean, it was and it wasn't. It was still her choice. Nobody went out of their way to stop her from doing it. And I think at one point it's hinted that she spoke to Noah at the church a couple of times and maybe he gave her advice. But I love the idea that and the way they depict it in the show is just that he she wanted to do this. Mm-hmm. For him. So I think that that's another thing too. When we look at, you know, the Ouroboros and what is poison and what's all wrapped up in, in the loop, that's one thing that isn't quite. And so it's pure to me in that way. Magnus and, and Francisca is also one of those things where they just, they fucking love each other, man. And she hides so much from him and he pulls it out of her. That's the other thing too about those two is that it's a really good representation of breaking the loop. Because Charlotte could never break out. She could never open up and fully be vulnerable with her partner. There are plenty of reasons why that may be the case. She was isolated a lot growing up. You know, her parents were dead. Her partner was in love with somebody else and didn't know it at the time. You know, those kinds of things could have contributed to it. But we see Charlotte have this, uh, you know, Peter says to her, you can't talk to our daughter that way. You know, like you, you're very detached. You're very neglectful emotionally. And we see that in, in Francisca, she mirrors that. And it takes us back to the beginning of the conversation where Mergel said that you mirror what you learn as a kid. That's exactly what she's doing. And it's another reason why I love Dark so much because the characters feel so real. Francisca is starting to repeat that loop that her mother does. She, She is mirroring the love that she gets from her mother. It's not something they forget or it's, it's all written very realistically. And she breaks out of it with the help of Magnus. Oh my God. Magnus is like, he he, pu- yeah. he pushes those boundaries with her, but then she opens up to him and he keeps pushing. Speaking of breaking the loop, Magnus mm-hmm. doesn't cheat on Francisca. No, he doesn't. Like his father no. and his grandfather did. Straight yeah. up. You are right. They break the loop. They're the true love story. Yeah. And if They're you really are love. not yeah. convinced <laughs> after the end of this, you can email us, but... Yeah. My goodness. Oh, my God. They really, truly are. Mm -hmm. I think just also, again, I'm going to mention it again, the apocalypse scene from Mm -hmm. the alternate world where they are just looking at each other and signing. He like they speak and sign to each other. And it's just it's just one of the most beautiful, beautiful things. And they're truly, truly spectacular together. That first scene when they're in the bunker and they're doing the dirty (laughs) <laughs> but it's not dirty. It's the most magnificent lovemaking of all time. But when, so when they're in the bunker and he just, cause it's, that's the reveal, right? She signs, I love yeah. you. And he signs, I love you. But I screamed at my TV. I suspected <laughs> oh it. But at that moment when they yeah. did it, I just was like, ah, 
so good. Like <laughs> they are. Oh, God, they're great. I love them. Anyway. Yep. That's it. I have a pretty interesting thing. It's an aside. It's like a it's a German mm-hmm. German thing. Okay. I can yeah. bring some like hashtag German facts. So in Germany and in German, there are two ways to say I love you, but also not quite. There's ich liebe dich, which is I love you. It's the typical I love you. That's the romantic one, right? Yeah, it's it. this is very generalized, and I'm sure there are exceptions to the rule. I'm sure there are people who will say ich liebe dich to their parents, but it's much less used as far as I understand. Um, the other way to say it is ich hab dich lieb. Now, these two things do translate to I love you. Both of them translate to I love you. But ich hab dich lieb is more, it's just different. It's lighter. And in Germany, you really save uh, ich liebe dich for, you know, very specific things. In general, it's not used as much as I love you yeah. is in, in English, for example. We use I love you for our friends. Uh, we say it very frequently. In German, ich liebe dich is usually reserved for very specific only lovers, basically. And even then, you say it very sparingly, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 It's not said as frequently. Which also just reminds me of the scene in the episode one where Hannah says that to Ulrich. Yeah. And he responds, you're beautiful. Yes. It just brings a little extra bit of context in that she said a very serious thing in that moment, not just for English speakers. Hey, I love you. And he just neglected it. She was basically stating, I love you, man. Like, you know, the, I really, I like really serious. love you. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's still very serious that he like did not respond. Yes. You know, but like it's a it's, little bit more understandable why he may have not responded in that way. Yeah. I asked, I asked my partner, Denki, like, how weird is it? Because immediately I was like, oh, she dropped like a major bomb there. And is it more acceptable that Ulrich doesn't say something to her? And he was like, no, it says a lot that he didn't. Mm. That it's very, very, you know, high key in that moment that he didn't. The difference between ich liebe dich and ich hab dich lieb is very, it's subtle, but like there's a huge, they both mean love and affection, but there's a huge gap between them uh, that is very, very interesting. So I just wanted to bring some of that in because, you know, being in a relationship with a German person, with a German man, and learning how there are different ways to communicate affection in that regard, the the gravity that they carry with it. As an English speaker, I'm very free with my I love yous, you know? Um, I I know when I mean it very seriously and there's context there, but I think it's just it's just interesting when you encounter languages like I'm sure peeps like with with Japanese, you know, mm-hmm. like no one says aishiteru, right? Right. Yeah, it's it's very similar. It's it's reserved for lovers only and even then it's used very sparingly. Um, or at least it was when I was there growing up there. It's been a very long time. So language does change over time and things become a lot more acceptable. So who knows now? But yeah, I think I think that's an interesting point to bring up. And I'm just curious, what does he say, Ulrich, at the at the prison when Ooh, Hannah true. leaves and he shouts when out, I love you? After her. Ooh, let me yeah, see. Which, which I really version of see. I love you is that? Let me look it up. Yeah. And they they sign I love you and he signs I love you back. So we don't really know, you know, yeah. verbally what would have been said. But we all know because Magnus and, 
Well, it would be ASL. I actually don't know if there's like a German sign language. There is, yeah. There's there's a sign language for each language, yes, that makes it a little bit different. There's, um, I forget what they're called. My sister took so many years of sign language. It was really into the community. There are signifiers, I believe, that will shift depending on what continent or language that you're you're signing in. But um, there's also finger spelling that's different because obviously you yeah. have Roman characters versus, a, you know, everything else. So I've always wanted to learn to sign. I felt like it was a, yeah. you know, very important thing that I should know how to do. Finger spelling is a great place to start. Mm-hmm. I found that when you interact with someone who is deaf and you take that effort to at least finger spell or try yeah. it, it means the world. I can do finger spelling. Yeah. I can do that. But I would very much love to learn ASL. Ooh. Did we find it? Yes, we found it. So he says, ich hab dich geliebt, which is I loved you. And then he says, ich liebe dich noch immer. Ich liebe dich noch immer, which means like, I, I love you still. But there is a distinction, again, there's a distinction between ich liebe dich and ich liebe dich. So there's a distinction in strength between those two meanings. He does say ich liebe dich, ich liebe dich, but he starts saying ich liebe dich, ich liebe dich. And ich when liebe he realizes dich. he made a mistake, he switches he to... Like- I love you. I love you. He might, yeah, I think it it might indicate an upping. Now, forgive me for if I'm wrong, if like a German listener is like, yeah, that's wrong. He does start saying, ich liebe dich noch immer. So it is, it is super, super interesting. And he does say it a Mm. bunch uh, here in this scene. But yeah. So cool. Yeah, super, super cool. cool. So that Hannah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Can that please be the title of her episode? Yes. Yes. <laughs> that bleep, bleep Anna. Anna. I love it. I love it so much. So I think one of the the things that we can look at when it comes to like manic love for sure is just Hannah. I feel like Hannah is basically it. She's obsessive. She has a level of desperation and need in her in her love style. I'm wondering if it would be like funny to diagnose each character's attachment style. (laughs) The four attachment styles are secure, anxious, avoidant dismissive, and avoidant fearful. And if you were to define adult attachment, what would this be? There's a, it's, I don't know if it's like theory, but there's like a psychological psychiatrist, you know, theory basically about how everyone is given or learns an attachment style as children, as they grow up, it's usually based on how, what kind of attachment relationship you had with your parents and that that person then plays out that attachment style. You play out your attachment style in every relationship that you have. There is The difference is a secure attachment style is a healthy upbringing where your parent raised you and you feel that you can trust fairly easily. You and your parent were attuned to emotions. You can communicate upsets directly. You know, uh, confrontation isn't a huge trigger for you. You are flexible and cooperative in your relationships and dealing with different behaviors. Whereas, for example, uh, an anxious attachment style has a sensitive nervous system, struggles communicating um, their needs directly, tends to act out when triggered, so making a partner jealous or something like that. And then the two other ones, avoidant dismissive, downplays importance of relationships, is usually extremely self-reliant, 
can become more vulnerable when there's a big crisis or avoidant fearful, more dependent in relationships than avoidant dismissive, strongly fears rejection, has low self-esteem, has high anxiety in relationships. Basically, the theory is that it defines how you interact in your relationships. So attachment style has like a pretty big effect on on stuff. Yeah, I could totally see that. I mean, learned behavior in relationships is such a huge thing. So also seeing and emulating a style of love makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious with Hannah. I mean, we don't know Hannah's background very well. Like we know that we know her dad. We've seen scenes with her and her dad. And there wasn't anything to indicate that Hannah had an unhealthy relationship in her upbringing. So I'm going to say something controversial here. I think for sure Hannah obviously goes under the obsessive love. But I also think Trant and Claudia, Trant's love for Claudia falls under a little bit under the obsessive. Oh, yeah. And Noah. Mm -hmm. I think Noah and Elizabeth fall under this category. I think only because of that thing that you brought up in the first episode of this we ever did, Mergs, which was he kidnaps her young boyfriend. Yeah. And kills him. Yeah. Does he know, though? Does he know that? Of course he does. Okay, fair. <laughs> Maybe he doesn't, but I think I love Noah for all of his faults and everything. I completely accept him for who he is, but this is pre- this is pretty fucked up thing that he does. But I do think it's out of, you know, the the book or whatever. Well, we can't let her have feelings for anybody else. We kill this kid because we need to preserve the loop, right? He's been brainwashed into this like, you know, cult of paradise. And his obsession with this cult of paradise is why I put the love under this category. I, again, I have a hard time labeling things because I think lots of stuff bleeds into other things. But in this particular instance, his obsession with following this guideline or, you know, the way to paradise is why he picks her. She constantly says, you know, tell me more about paradise as if like they are struggling to keep going because of this kind of idea of paradise. So I think theirs goes under obsession for sure. I'm curious how that conversation went when they were getting close and she was like, yeah, you know, my very first boyfriend when I was like nine, (laughs) he was killed. And then Noah's like, "Mm, oh, oh, that sucks. (laughs) I think she, I think she would have to have known by the end, don't you? Yeah, I don't know. Cause like, how do you reconcile that? That's that's a very good question because think about oh, it. Like she met him in the woods. She and so her boyfriend went missing in the woods. Well, the question is, does she know? Yeah. Well, yeah. also just eventually, eventually she gets to know. She's in the know at the final scene as the, you know, her final adult self, where she's just like, you know. Which which scene are you referring to? Where they all go back to do the things that they have to yeah. do to maintain is the she loop. there? Where she goes back and steals her own child. Oh yeah. Okay, yeah. But that's after that's after Noah leaves her and she goes off on her own and gets in in touch with Silja and or Celia and everyone else in like the apocalyptic world. That's like the time between. So Noah leaves her and she goes from the pregnant woman we see in the hut to the short haired, blind, like weathered woman that we meet first when uh, Jonas comes to the future. So after that is when she meets up with Charlotte finally and then they go back and steal her as a baby so I 
I don't know if it would have come up in her relationship with Noah or if she found all of this out afterwards. We do find out that she was protecting the plant. She was protecting the truth of the matter, the yeah. dark matter. God there. particle. Because she was lying. Thank you. Yeah. The God particle. Because she was lying to Celia and everyone else saying, don't go in there. But really, she was protecting the knowledge of it being there. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's tough. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it came up in their relationship, but eventually she had to have known because at that point where she's going back to steal her her own daughter, she knows everybody else is going back to maintain the loop. She also did know Noah's role in everything prior to that. And I don't know about her, but for me growing up, eventually there would have come a point where I'm like, well, all these kids going missing and being killed yeah. with the like time loop is obviously going through this time machine. And I, I don't know, I think you would have had to have thought about it or asked, or maybe you didn't, or maybe you ignored it and said, tell me about paradise one more time. Maybe it was an Alexander situation where she was just like, mm, yeah, I'd rather not. No. Just didn't. But in that situation, I don't think she's, yeah, I don't think no. she's doing what Alexander and Regina did, which is a really good point. I think it's more out of obsession. Tell me about paradise. We just have to keep doing this stuff. I'm going to ignore all these yeah. skeletons yeah. in these closets and yeah. just focus on paradise. Whereas that's that's not the love that, you know, Regina no. and Alexander no. have. Yeah, they have like that. a true unconditional love for sure. Mm -hmm. I wonder if even you could argue that I was going to say Doris and Agnes, but I feel like Doris and Agnes have an Eros. That's what I was thinking. Yes. An Eros yeah. form of love. I think Doris loved her yeah. a lot. And if she had, if Agnes had stayed, I think they could have grown into yeah. an agape. Yeah. But because Agnes left her where she did. Yeah. It, it they could have been yeah. just two gal pal roommates, you know? <laughs> yep. Forever and Forever ever. Forever and ever. Until they yeah. could get married at the age of 70. Those pictures make me weep. Oh my God. I can't. There's a documentary on Netflix. Yeah. Have you seen it? Mm -hmm. So good. I cried the whole time. Yep. I just sobbed. Which one? It's called Secret Love. It came out this year and it's about this lesbian couple who have been together since I think like the 50s and are coming out now and yeah. decide and to. to oh my God. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. I need to yeah. watch it's this. Amazing. You'll cry. As a wedding photographer, I see some of this come up a lot, like, you know, older couples who were basically just pretending to be roommates for a very long time and then are finally now getting married in their 70s. And it's just like, I cry every time. Yeah. I cry every time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a beautiful film. Everyone should watch it. Yeah. We'll put it in the show notes. What about Burned and Claudia? Ooh. Yes. I think theirs was probably Eros as well. It was probably done out of passion or maybe it was pragmatic. Yeah. On behalf of Claudia. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe she was like, I can get what I want. Which is to be the CEO of this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah of the company. Of this company. You know what's crazy to me? Whenever I go back now, after learning that, whenever I go back and I see any scene with them in it, it's all about business. Yeah. They only ever talk about business. Why'd you lie to me about the numbers or the secret under the power plant in like every scene with them? It's that's why it threw me so much when I found out that he was Regina's father, because I'm like, how? There's no evidence of this. Every time they interact with each other, it's professional. So because it but was now 
sibling, I guess. Yeah. And she, yeah. But now going back to that one scene when she was a little girl and she was there to be um, Helge's tutor and he comes out and he gives her that lesson about taking what you want and that kind of thing. And he compliments her for being, you know, all grown up and whatever. That's the only indication. <laughs> so it makes me think that, yeah, it was a pragmatic decision. She just yeah. decided to sleep with him to get to the top or to, I don't know. Maybe she just wanted to sleep with him. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe she was just like, hot nuclear daddy. Sign me up. (laughs) (laughs) We don't know. That's so good. We don't know. We don't know. And I don't don't necessarily want to assign her motive to it. Yeah. Because that, you know, I feel like she just kind of, she's a good character that sort of did what she wanted her whole life and then regrets it at the end necessarily giving her a motive might take away a little bit of that power or just the fact that she's just you know i'm hedonistically approaching life you know like i put my career first or that's not a hedonistic thing to do by the way before anybody takes that to heart wait are you telling me that working yourself to death is not a fun hedonistic thing to do it feels pretty hedonistic sometimes (laughs) feels so good it feels so good Um, to just never stop working yeah exactly (laughs) Um, no, that's avoidance and we all have it. We should maybe get some therapy, all of us. Um, but yeah, no, I think, uh, she just strikes me as a character that maybe, maybe she just, maybe she just had a drunk night with her boss and then, you know, I think it it could be, did he know? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know if he knew. Well, he was married, right? So maybe it was one of those. Yeah fucking Greta I'll hand you a check every month that Greta yeah yeah (laughs) um Uh, but then there's also the origin world you know yeah yeah where they're they seem to be happily together wait who the the origin world uh sorry back to burned and Claudia burned and Claudia are happy together in the origin world there's a picture of them on the mantle with Regina hold on what no yeah in the last scene that's how that's how it's like indicated right am i am i the only one just learning this for the first time oh my oh my god am i the only what can you find an image of this dude yes 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 either one second they're together in the origin world and raise regina together that's how she knew again going back to yes yeah uh, back to how she knew that that was the because she says it's regina right regina is the answer he keeps thinking the origin point is this thing with marta but it's not and i kept thinking about regina how do i save her and following the line back so it makes sense that they're together then so then what we never see is the moment where claudia and burned make a decision to not be together yeah and that's part of the loop repeating i bet with the affairs i bet they're technically the origin point of the affair as well well no because agnes would be right but I mean, everything loops back onto itself. So even yeah. if Agnes is up at the top, because the real true origin point is Regina, like not Regina, but Regina is part of the one out of the loop. Yeah. Everybody else is tied up in itself. The only two that aren't inside the loop are Claudia and Burned, right? They exist outside. Yeah. Oh, Everybody else gets eaten. My God. Yeah, yeah. If you go to the end of <gasps> episode eight in season three... It's right after Jonas and and Marta fade away and it cuts to this picture and then it shows everyone at the dinner table. Holy shit. What? I'm losing my mind. How did I miss that? 
that? How did I miss oh, that? I don't know. You're I, weeping I must at have the found finale. This. Yeah, yeah. Right. I was crying. That's how I missed it. And I was he's crying. Not in a wheelchair. <laughs> you know, he's not in a wheelchair. We don't recognize him. And it's just like a moment. I didn't recognize him. Yeah. Holy cow. Mind blown. Yeah. I just, I always think of that scene where he like gives her the dollar and she's like a young that's girl and he's talking to her. It's so weird. I know. Um, That's crazy, my dude. Thank that's you for so bringing wild. that up. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. And I think that's why I struggled so much when I found out that he was a father because A, I didn't recognize him in the picture. And B, there was no yeah. scenes that gave any indication of romantic interest or love or whatever yeah. in the show. And so when I heard that, I'm like, no, 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 that must be a fan theory and not support it. But then I guess I went back and didn't tell you guys that, yeah, this picture exists. Wow. It's, it's so good, though. I'm glad we found out now. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. Yep. Oh, so into that, then we can talk a little bit of about parental love. I feel like we've talked a lot about the the romantic love. Yeah. And I still I know that we have not really deep dived on Jonas and Marta, and I don't think we will until we get to their episodes, to be honest. I feel there's just so much there that like, yeah, I think it would just be better to really chomp on that later. And of course, we're not really going to get into Ulrich and Katarina because we talked about them. So I think we can move on to parental love because... Although if I'm going to label them... No, label them. Label them. I'd put them... I'd probably put them in convenience, Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think at this point. Well... I think there's a lot of... Oh, Rick and Katarina? Yeah. yeah, I think there's a lot of real love in there, but I think they got complacent. I think... God, that's so hard. That's really hard because she does love him, all faults aside. And she knows him completely and accepts him like she says to Hannah, did he ever say I love you? You know, like, I just, I don't know. Yeah. That's a hard one. I think it's one of those examples of how, because we have these like love types, right? And it's fun to talk about what type of lover and relationship. And, you know, apparently there's genetics that are involved in terms of like how much people seek after Eros and how how much people are able to do altruistic love agape. You mean there's Um, generational loops? Uh-huh. And people get it. <laughs> Biological <laughs> generational loops. But I also, you know, love changes all the time and relationships change and a relationship can begin in Eros, you know, land in Agape and then eventually move into Pragma, which is like the business like pe- pragmatic, you know. And I think it's something that you see in long term marriages with children where maybe, you know, the the partners have lost their connection in some regard, you know, in in placing their children first. They've distanced from each other in in huge ways. And so I think it, it is a pretty it's almost like the opposite tale as old as time where it's like couple is together because they have so much at stake by not being together. Yeah. I almost wonder if there's a little bit of philia love there too. Yeah. The affectionate love, because there's more of an emphasis on affection and platonic bonding than sexual love. Only because, and I'm just going to throw this out here without much basis, only because there's so many times when Katarina turns yeah, that's down true. for sex. There's more of a a parental bond between them more like you said more pragmatic we've been together for so long so we're just going to stay together but i feel like their type of love is maybe less romantic and more like just a platonic bond not to say that they don't feel sexually for each other but it's it's what we see kind of on a day-to-day basis yeah. 
more than not. It sounds like the storge form of love, which is familial love. Lee defines storge as growing slowly out of a friendship is based on more similar interest and a commitment to one another rather on passion. Yeah, there you go. Which I'm also seeing that storge is very similar to mm-hmm. philia. It's yeah. a love that looks and feels a lot like it. Um, I like that. Yeah, so that would definitely yeah, work too. Yeah. Because there's also that scene... Oh, yeah, because there's the scene where, you know, they decide to have sex for the first time. And he's like, are you sure? And she goes, well, I'd rather it be with you than some other guy. Oh, yeah. Implying that maybe their love was really born out of an intense friendship. Oh, yeah, that's a great point. Who's next? Yeah, now that I think we've accomplished romantic love and deemed Francisca and Magnus as the true lovers of this entire show. (laughs) Parental love is a big one, I think, that is very evident in the show, not only because children, you know, go missing and it's this the searching for those children, but also, actually, <laughs> the whole show exists, the whole timeline exists because Tan House's family died and he wants to bring them back. Yeah. Claudia right. does everything yeah. she can because she wants to save Regina and pull her out of the loop. Yeah, which we talked about in a previous episode, how Tanhouse was the beginning and Claudia is the end. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, you know, very tentatively, you know, we, we talked briefly about how Tanhouse is kind of like the god of this timeline and is the god uh, sort of representative in the show. And religion in the show does take a huge part and i'm sure we're going to do an episode on religion so we don't have to get super into it but like he has a a son and a daughter-in-law it's very reminiscent of adam and eve you know Jonas and marta call each other adam and eve tanhouse starts this cycle with love for his children claudia ends the cycle with love for her child and Jonas and marta poison the cycle and continue the cycle with their love for each other right yeah Ooh. and so i think maybe there's an interesting point about the the value of different kinds of love maybe or like i don't know maybe parental love is an ultimate type of love maybe there's a comment you think that they are trying to say like the ultimate love that exists is this parental love, a, a love a parent Maybe. has for a child. That's interesting. I had not considered that. It's, it's possible. It is a yeah. recurring theme. It's super supported in all the relationships yeah. because aside from Ten House and Claudia, there's Inez's bond mm-hmm. with Mikkel, yep. like we talked about. There's Michael sacrificing himself for Jonas's existence. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's Marta. I mean, Marta, as Ava, did everything for her child. She kept and perpetuated the cycle to keep That's him true. alive. And then Ulrich, Ulrich's wrong turn was going back in time to try to find his son. He sacrificed his whole existence, his future, yeah, to find Mikkel. Yeah. Oh, and then Noah. I mean, Noah's love for Charlotte also leads him to do unspeakable things. I mean, that's kind of a terrible yeah. example. Yeah. But, you know, everything he did was for love he was manipulated into it but yeah. love for elizabeth and then love and for charlotte the final confrontation that he has is because his yeah. daughter is missing the show yeah, also right. ends with hannah pregnant about to have a new child and she Another. says yep. Jonas true in a in a sort of like way to let us know that not everyone completely disappears and you know essences are still found everywhere um yeah beautiful sentiment 
I, I'm curious. I, I just brought it up because as we're talking about it, I'm like, in what are the scenarios where we have seen love be pure and successful to some extent? But I don't know because we also have many examples of parental yeah. love being equally as poisonous with Greta, with Helena. Yeah. I mean, even Charlotte's uh, abandonment of her kids, how Charlotte isn't really there yeah. for them. Yeah. So much so that Francisca is just like, I'm, I want to leave. She's emotionally unavailable. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a good counter because Charlotte, I, I think Charlotte still loves her kids. She's just emotionally unavailable. Whereas, that, you know, yeah. Peter, he does everything to go try to find Charlotte and Francisca while still trying to protect mm-hmm. Elizabeth. Yeah. In the apocalypse. And he world. dies trying to trying to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Now that throws a, a wrench in the mix, I think, because Jonas deliberately kills his child, kills Marta as well, right? To try and end the cycle. Adam. Adam. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe the answer is there is no pure form of love. There's just different kinds and yeah. some are more polluted than others. Oof. Yeah. And I think I do think the show does a very good job of just being real. Yeah. Like while also being a sci-fi fantasy show, all the characters are very real in the relationships. Very. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe like trying to trying to understand love in and of itself is like not the point. Maybe it's just that it exists. I I think it's possible that they put it in there because a couple of lines in the final episode make me think they were talking existentially, not just through dialogue. Specifically, I think Marta says to Jonas, will they remember us? And I think that's, you know, yes, she's talking about, or whoever says it is talking about them giving themselves up to whatever, but it's also very much about death. That whole scene is very much about dying and end of the cycle, end of life, and the existential cry of, do I mean anything to anyone? Does my life have value or meaning or will it people remember me or will I simply be forgotten? Yeah. So I think there's a lot of that presented in the show. But what I like about it is that it doesn't always have answers. It just presents the question. Yeah. Yep. So I think that could be something that they are doing here as well. Putting these real relationships in here and saying, well, you know, let's show a toxic one. I, it would not surprise me if they have their own, you know, Charlie map on the wall that says, <laughs> here are the relationships, who's stuck in a loop, who can we have be, you know, represent a good relationship or a toxic one or, you know, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Everything seems to fit. Uh, the more and more we talk about this, the more I think about that they maybe had this initial idea on all these characters and then they went, okay, well, what makes sense? For them to do and how to act based on what happened to them or how they grew up because everything is just makes so much sense yeah yeah it's beautiful yeah i'm super yeah i'm super interested in the fact that like we kind of are discussing this idea of parental love versus like romantic love and, and mm-hmm. yeah i wonder i wonder do do the directors have children i don't know not that I think you need to have children, but I'm just uh, at all. Uh, but I'm just curious because when I think of it now, it does feel like a series very based on being a parent in some way. I guess. Yeah. Nothing immediately available to show anything about their 
personal you know, life, yeah. Uh, personal life, which, you know, is fair. So fair. We will have to go find those interviews, though, that yes. Mark was yeah. telling us about. Since we're talking about it, they have two things in development after oh, Dark. Boy. T-Y-L-L and 1899, both Netflix original series. And then they've created some stuff before this. Sleepless, which was an action thriller with Jamie Foxx in it, which I have not heard of or seen. Um, They also did Who Am I? Which is one that I definitely want to watch. I remember seeing this come up at the Toronto uh, International Film Festival and I just... It's hard for me to get to go to those things, so I just didn't. But now I regret it because that would have been super cool. Anyway, Who Am I is one they did. It's a thriller. And then they've also done uh, another thriller drama called The Silence. And before that, they did one, uh, a drama called Under the Sun. So basically, I want to consume everything that they've ever created. Uh, yeah. Yes, basically. please. <laughs> so that's, that's the list. We'll include the list in the show notes as well. So uh, everybody else can go dive in and see what else they've done but yeah I've, i'm super obsessed with his photography from the scenes in the set which i included in last week's mm-hmm. show notes but yeah. um yeah so i've been like on his website a bit but um yeah i'm very excited for what they do next yeah and i think if we focus on dark being predominantly about the bonds between parent and child i mean i'm i'm here for that because I feel like we have enough stories about romantic love in the world that being able to explore those other kinds of love is is always refreshing. Yeah, yeah. This oh, so was a solid episode. I think so. Mergles. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I think that's it then. Did you guys have anything you wanted to add? Mm-mm. Okay. No, that was a great discussion. Yeah. yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah. Okay, so shall we do shout outs? Yeah. Hi, I'm PB or Pumpkinberry. You can find me at Twitter at Pumpkinberry. You can also find everything that I do at pumpkinberry.tv, all the cool, fun projects that I'm up to. I currently GM a surreal thriller every Wednesdays uh, called Gone, which is about memory, identity, and who we really are. That's a lot of fun. And otherwise, I'm doing photography, video game stuff, and and again, all that stuff you can find at pumpkinberry.tv. Thank you. Thank you. Acorn? Yes, I'm Acorn or Acorn Bandit. And you can find all of my links on joysons.com, J-O-I-S-A-N-S.com slash pages slash Acorn. I make enamel pins. I'm on another podcast here on the network. And um, I just generally love nerdy things. So I I like to think my Twitter is fun. If you want to go check that out for some laughs, I post memes and, and funny things on there. So anyway, that's me. Yay. Thank you, Acorn. And I'm Murgles. You can find me at Murgles on Twitter. I also stream on Twitch. I'm making an animated film on Twitch, uh, though lately I've been playing a lot of games. Oopsie. <laughs> I also do RP on a channel called Table Story, which is the same channel that PB does. So uh, I am every Tuesday I play a character named Clementine in a Harry Potter tabletop show called Witchcraft and Wizardry. So if you're interested in that, that's a fun thing to do. <laughs> totally the opposite of dark. Yes. <laughs> Very lighthearted. But hey, we, you know, again, just like it's hard to label, you know, romantic relationships, it's hard to label people. We all like a lot of different things. It's yeah, true. Exactly. It's true. I've learned that, especially during our shout outs, where we're like, I do this and podcasts and <laughs> also this and I create these all the we're, we're scatterbrains, all of us. We're all <laughs> yes. <over the> place. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. Creatively everywhere. 
Well, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. And of course, if we've missed anything, you can tweet us individually using the hashtag darkcompanionpod or email darkcompanionpod at gmail.com. Of course, special thanks to Johnny Caballero for letting us use the beautiful cover art. And you can find him on Twitter at Johnny Knight, and that's spelled J-H-O-N-Y-K-N-I-G-H-T. We are also proudly part of the Geek Generation Network, and you can find more awesome podcasts related to cool, nerdy things like TV, comics, and movies at thegeekgeneration.com. Thank you so much for diving into dark with us, and we'll be back next Thursday with episode, what are we doing? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, Episode seven. Episode seven. seven. Oh, my gosh. Uh, It's mine, right? It's a PB episode, yeah. Okay, let me just take a look here. Should we talk about Magnus and Francisca? I'm super down for Magnus and Francisca. Yeah, me too. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much for diving into Dark, and we'll be back next Thursday with episode seven, which is Then Together, Magnus and Francisca. Yes! Yes! Thank you so much. Bye. 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 Bye.